following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Um, if you would, open up your Bibles or electronic device that has a Bible on them. We are in uh, the book of Genesis, the very first book uh, of the Bible, and we are looking at chapter 26. We've been walking through Genesis, and uh, I don't know about, about you, but uh, this has just been a great study, uh, a great opportunity um, to just look at uh, such, a, such a book um, that has so many um, illustrations and examples of how to love the Lord, um, people who are doing that well or did that well, um, mistakes that were made, and things that we can kind of uh, avoid in our everyday life. So it's interesting, whenever you study the Old Testament, there's a lot of people that look at the Old Testament and they think to themselves, this has no application for today. And that's just not true. There's, I think, um, so much rich application for us as believers today in um, these old timeless texts. And they have survived um, just generation and generation and generation, which uh, continues to prove their validity. Uh, Last week, we um, were in Genesis chapter 22. So we have made a significant jump from Genesis chapter 22 into Genesis chapter 26. So let me bring you up to speed on what has transpired in regards to major events between Genesis 23 and Genesis 26. In Genesis chapter 23, uh, we were studying a man named Abraham. Father Abraham had... All right, if you did not know the answer to that, don't worry, okay? Um, It is a very old song that we had just jammed in our brains as kids, and we knew many sons, and I am... And so are you, right. So uh, there's, we had to carry that out because some people would be like, I can't believe we didn't finish the song. Um, But Abraham is what is called a patriarch, and a patriarch is on uh, the, the core, uh, a founder of the faith. Let's just call it that, okay? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're going to hear that all throughout the biblical text. Well, Abraham had a wife, and her name was Sarah. And in Genesis chapter 23, Sarah dies. He purchases a cave um, called Machpelah, and that is a burial site for her. Now, that is huge in any sort of biblical study, because there's uh, many people in regards to Old Testament times that are buried in that cave. Genesis chapter 24, Abraham sends his servant to find a wife for his son. And for those of you who have kids, you're thinking to yourself, I can understand that. That makes sense. Um, His son is Isaac. That's the promised seed, all right? Isaac is very important in our study in Genesis because he was one that was promised to Abraham and Sarah at an old age. So he needs to find her a wife so that essentially the lineage can continue to live on. A servant guided by the Lord meets a woman named Rebecca at a well and brings her back, and they are married. So I, Isaac, it's a book, take you, Rebecca, all right? And they are married. Chapter 25, 
Abraham dies. And now we see a genealogy that is given of his son from Hagar, uh, which is Ishmael. Now, that is still important today because Ishmael and Isaac, if you go out east, are still debated in regards to who actually gets the blessing. So, for example, you have Muslims, for example, who look over um, at Ishmael and they would say the blessing transpires from there. Now, I am summarizing uh, in a massive way. But, um, we look over at Isaac and we realize uh, there's a blessing that is given there. So it's important that you follow those two lineages throughout the entire text of the Bible, Ishmael and Isaac. That's important, okay? Um, so we see Isaac have twin sons. They're Esau and Jacob. And you know the story because Esau sells his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew, just proving that anybody will do anything when they're hungry enough. And it's also proof that hanger happened in the Old Testament just as much as it happens today, all right? So you can resonate with that. Which brings us into Genesis chapter 26. In the first 11 chapters of Genesis, or chapters, of course, 11 verses of Genesis chapter 26, there is a famine in the land. And Isaac, the promised seed, travels to a land called Gerar. Yahweh, the covenant God, you're going to hear me say that all throughout the study of Genesis because that is his name in the Old Testament. The covenant God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has told Isaac, stay in the land that was promised to your father. Stay there. It was a command that was given to him. Isaac, following Abraham's footsteps, more is caught than taught, has a situation with a king called Abimelech. It is not the same king in Genesis chapter 20. It's a different one. And he says that Rebekah is his sister to protect himself, something that his dad did to Pharaoh. So we see a similar situation transpiring with Isaac as it did with Abraham. Now, uh, Abimelech, that king, discovers the truth. He reprimands Isaac, and we see the same grace that was given to Abraham now given to Isaac. So God is continuing to work the same way that he worked in the past with Abraham. And the covenant continues to carry on. We see that despite Isaac and his sin and shortcomings, he's prospering in the land because of God's mercy. God's mercy and grace are just as prevalent in the Old Testament as they are in the New Testament. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who gave us Jesus, is just as much full of grace now as he was back then. We look at what Paul said. Should I continue to sin so that grace may abound? By no means. We do not abuse grace that has been given to us. We affirm grace through acts of worship. And that brings us right into Genesis chapter 26, verse 12. And our whole goal today is a question that you are asking, that I'm asking, that Isaac asked, and that Abraham asked. How do I get to the end of my life and have God look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant? How do I utilize the blessings of God? How do I receive them? And how do I use them for his glory and not my own? Let's look at verse 12. Again, big numbers are going to be the chapter. Smaller numbers are going to be the verses. Genesis chapter 26, verse 12. Isaac... Abraham's son, sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. Now, here's what's going to happen and transpire. 
Isaac is going to do what God asked him to do, and he is going to plant, and he is going to plow, and he is going to produce, and as he does those things, people are going to be opposed. Whenever you do something good for the Lord, what happens? People push back. And our first command from God is to be obedient regardless of the oppression that you face. We never compromise our obedience to the Lord in any situation or circumstance. Now, let's go back and let's keep these passages in context. As we read in verse 12, we realize that there's a famine in the land of Canaan. So, verse 12 links to verse 1. That's the same land that was promised to Abraham by Yahweh. Yahweh tells Isaac, stay in Gerar, the land of the Philistines. You know the land of the Philistines because that's where Goliath is from, all right? And not go to Egypt to escape the famine. Isaac obeys, sows crops in Gerar, and reaps, it says, a hundredfold, a hundredfold. Now, that's a good return in a normal year. That's absolutely amazing in a famine year. Verse 12 continues, and the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich. He gained more and more until he became very wealthy. Verse 14, he had possessions, flocks, herds, servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. That's not a nice thing to do. All right, that's not a good thing to do. Um, Stop right there. What we're seeing there in those passages of scripture are jealous people. They're jealous over what God has given to his people. Now, the interesting thing about jealous people is it is uh, something common in secular society. I'm learning it's also common with people who claim to be believers. So as you look and study scripture, it's easy to say, oh, those secular pagan people and their jealousy. Uh, You and I have it too as well. Isaac is blessed by Yahweh with crops, flocks, herds, and servants, and the Philistines envied him. Verse 15. A similar thing happened with Abraham in Genesis 21. Now, you probably don't understand what's happening and transpiring with all these wells here, but water rights are a point of contention between Isaac and Abimelech and his people. Due to the famine, which is most likely tied to a drought, water is a hot topic, and so are wells. Isaac used wells that were dug by Abraham's servants when Abraham lived in Gerar. Now, here's the deal. Pause for a second. Parents, you're sowing some seeds right now for your kids to enjoy some blessings. We do diligence now so the diligence can be done later. I think that's interesting. Isaac is living off of Abraham's obedience. Now, The Philistines see Isaac's blessings by Yahweh, and they fill up those wells with dirt due to jealousy. Like, do you have nothing better to do? It's amazing that they would do this because they would want water too as well. But instead of wanting to live in prosperity, they would rather the righteous uh, be reprimanded for their obedience. Biblical success attracts attention. Your biblical success 
Obedience attracts attention and the world will hate you. A dear friend and mentor of mine said, if there are people who are not pushing back against you because of your gospel ministry, you may not be doing your gospel ministry in a God-honoring way. Now, Isaac's prosperity, with that said, by the way, I don't think everybody should hate you, okay? If everybody hates you, you might not be doing gospel ministry in a correct way, okay? Isaac's prosperity happens at a time when others are struggling to survive. His enormous prosperity is evident to all people. His reputation is carrying throughout the land. The Philistines don't like it. They envy Isaac, and so they sabotaged him. Regardless, church, God's blessings on his people cannot be hindered. They could fill up every well they wanted to, and God's will would still carry on. Just because there are people who push back against the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't mean that we relinquish being obedient because of the gospel we have received. Look at verse 16. It says, And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us. That's kind of funny, right? Like, you're not allowed to live here. I uh, was reading this, and I was thinking to myself, what if this happened in regards to, like, people who populate, like, Bremen or Mishawaka or South Bend? The mayor comes up to you. We don't have a mayor in Bremen, by the way. And is like, oh, we need you to leave. Like, you're doing so well that we're going to have to ask you to go to another town. I just think that's fascinating. That's what's happening here. So Isaac leaves. Verse 17, he takes off. Isaac departs from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Verse 18. Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped up after the death of Abraham. Now here's what's amazing. Isaac leaves and God continues to bless. And instead of digging his heels in and saying, hey, we have the right to be here. He doesn't do that. He says, no, I'll leave. I'll take off. God's going to bless me over here just as he blessed me over here. I hear believers say this all the time. I have the right. When you became a believer in Jesus Christ, you waived all of your rights. You relinquished them all over to the Lord. You have no rights. Those who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior have relinquished their rights over to Christ and let God do what he wants to do. Be very careful saying, I have my rights. Now, in Abraham's day, the prior king uh, that he ran up against claimed ignorance. And eventually, he made a treaty with Abraham. This time, it's a little different. Abimelech's uh, response to dispute over water is a little different. Look at the text. He demands Isaac leave because he's much mightier than not only him, but his people. Now, Israel as a nation will experience the same thing in regards to their relationship with Egypt in Exodus chapter 1. So Isaac leaves, and he encamps in the valley of Gerar. That's a distance, by the way, from the main population. He again finds wells that belong to Abraham, where he lived in the same region, and one's filled in after Abraham died. He reopens that, and he starts naming the wells. This would be like uh, farmers in our um, congregation naming their fields, which I think you should do, by the way. I think that'd be really neat, right? Like if I came to visit you and you're a farmer and you're like, this one I named Jordan. <laughs> and I'd be like, why? Why'd you name it Jordan? Because like, it's frustrating. <laughs> half of it's flourishing, half of it's not, right? <laughs> Somebody's going to be like, I, I did it. Okay, anyway, so... <clears throat> 
Look at all these names that he gives. Verse 18, second part. He gave them the names that his father had given him. More is caught than taught. Uh, It says in verse 19, but when Isaac's servants dug in the valley, they found there a well of spring water. Verse 20, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen. Here comes another dispute. The water is ours. So here comes the naming process. He names uh, of the well Asek because they contended with him. Then they dug another well. They quarried over that also. So he named that one Sitna. And then he moved from there and he dug another well, verse 22, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name uh, Rehoboth, saying, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. What is going on here? This is really important to the text. Wells are given names to establish uh, proprietary rights. So by giving the wells the same name that Abraham had given, Isaac is doing three things. Number one, he is making his ownership incontestable. Number two, he is highlighting that injustice has been done. And number three, he is memorializing God's provision and protection. The names Isaac gives reflects his struggles with all of the Gergesites and his triumph. Asek means dispute. They contended with him. Walk through the verse. Sitna means opposition. Rehoboth means room, a room provided by Yahweh. So let's say that in a different way. Let's summarize what he just said in those verses. He says, though all the disputes and opposition, the Lord provides room. Through all of the disputes and all of the opposition, the Lord provides room. In other words, If we are wrongfully driven from one place, the Lord will provide for us in another. Church, do you realize the ramifications of that for us? If the Lord pushes you from one place because of your righteousness, he will provide in another place. If the Lord has us leave one place because of opposition, he will provide for us in another place. Notice, in all of this opposition, I can't help but to see that Isaac refuses to fight back. We are becoming a group of people called believers who are known for opposition. And don't get me wrong, there's a time and a place for us to correct people who are wrong. There's a time and a place for us to look at it and say, the Bible doesn't say that, or that's not what the definition of love is. There's a time and a place for those things. But we are so often called of being contentious people And Isaac looks at it and he's like, I'm going to be obedient regardless of being oppressed. I'm going to trust in the Lord's provision. I'm going to surrender one well after another well after another well, and I'm going to refuse to quarrel. Some of you look at it and you go, that's not right. Okay, but in the grand scheme of things, is it really worth taking that thing to war? Now, we look at that, and you're thinking about it in regards to people or places that you populate it. Let's think about it in regards to the home front. There are some families who are having some problems because of contention because you want to be right. Let it go. Let go and leave it in the Lord's hands and pray for those people. I had a friend of mine one time. He had a fight with his wife, and he started praying for her right there in the living room floor. 
God, I love my wife. She's so great. But if you could please just change her heart right now. I do not recommend that. (laughs) But the question on the table is, church, are you a fighter or a forgiver? You do not always have to win or be right. Just be obedient. Let the Lord provide as he sees fit. Jesus says in Matthew, we are called to be peacemakers. Trust God's promises. Be obedient in opposition. Witness the Lord's provision and his protection as you faithfully follow and serve him. Now, here's the other deal. If you're wrong, say you're wrong. For us guys, we have the hardest time saying, I'm sorry, and I was wrong. But those are two things that we should say all the time because that is the promotion of humility and the elimination of pride. The other two words that we respond is, thank you. Thank you. Because we do not berate somebody who has just humbled humbled themselves in front of us. So oftentimes when we get in these situations, the other party or the other person will look back and go, you're, you're right, you were wrong. Whoa, just say thank you. Move on. So the first thing is, when we're oppressed, obedience is key. The Lord loves this. He loves it. When we look at opposition and say, God, what do you desire? Now, mo- notice 23. Isaac continues in faithfulness, verse 23. He doesn't just give up. He keeps going. From there, he went up to uh, Beersheba, and the Lord appears to him the same night. And he talks to him. We don't know how, but he talks to him. He says, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not. 365 times in the Bible, it says, do not be afraid. Here's one of them. For I am with you, and I will bless you, and I'll multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. Verse 25. So not only is Isaac in uh, the naming well business, he's also in the building altar business. And there he calls upon the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent, or put down his stakes, and there Isaac's servants dug wells. Isaac goes from the valley of Gerir to Beersheba, which is the site of Abraham's original non-violent pact with the Philistines. So this partners with Genesis 21, verse 22 through 34. God appears to him, possible theophany, visible manifestation of Christ, we don't know. He does the same thing in the beginning of chapter 26, verse 1 through 5. This time, though, he introduces himself as the God of Abraham, your father, saying he had a special relationship with his dad. He's essentially saying, fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. He's validating his promises that he's previously made and he's committing again to assuring Isaac that he is a faithful God. It's amazing how many times in the text the Lord looks at us and reassures us of his faithfulness. Now, look at verse 25. He built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord. That's the same thing that Abraham did. Now, some of you had faith modeled really, really well. Good. Praise the Lord. Continue on in modeling that faithfulness. Some of you did not. Break the chain of disobedience and carry on in faithfulness. 
Okay, Just because you had a bad upbringing doesn't give you the right or the reason to say, well, my dad did it, so I'm going to do it. It doesn't work that way. So he says he pitched his tent, meaning he is going to stay there for an extended period of time. He chooses to live in Beersheba and even has his servants dig a well. Now, this is a sign that Isaac intends to dwell in the region semi-permanently. So what happens? Abimelech takes notice. So that's like if you uh, were successful in Bremen, they told you to move out, you go to Mishawaka, and now the mayor of Mishawaka looks at you and goes, uh, wait, hold on a second. I got a phone call from some guy in Bremen, right? Now here's the fun thing that comes out of these verses. Sometimes I think as believers, we think that our faith stayed in the place that we were once prospering at. But that's not necessarily true. Our faith goes with us everywhere we go. I just talked to an individual a little bit ago, and they were going to a job interview. And uh, they said, I'm just really nervous. I said, why are you nervous? They said, because I'm just, I just don't know. I have all these nerves and emotions. I said, "Um, you were really confident uh, last Sunday when I talked to you. And they were like, yeah. I was like, that same confidence from Sunday carries into the week. You know that, right? Like, you can still be assured that your faith goes with you. It's nomadic. Isaac's altar and how he worshipped bothered the Philistines. But regardless, he's still faithful in opposition. He stays committed to his faith. When men are false and unkind to you, God is still faithful and gracious. When situations and circumstances are not ideal, God's faithfulness and grace is still prevalent. When we're most disappointed by humanity, God often shows us his majesty. When God encourages us through his word, it should motivate us to engage in every word and deed as an act of worship that honors him. Here's what I'm getting at. Some of you showed up this morning and you are deflated. A situation transpired, a circumstance happened, and you think to yourself, my faith is gone. That's not the case. The same God that was with you in that high mountaintop experience is the same God that's with you in that low valley of despair. When God encourages us through his his word, it motivates us to engage in every word and deed as an act of worship that honors him. I can only imagine what Isaac's thinking. Lord, what are we doing? The process of sanctification solidifies our divine connection. God is at work in mountaintop experiences. He is at work in valley of the shadow of death experiences. And there are people out in our community right now wondering, do we stand on the solid rock? Or are we blown by every wind that comes our way? Isaac is faithful in every season. And that motivates him to be obedient in opposition, which God looks at and shows up literally to him and gives him the head nod. Now, my question is, what happens? Verse 26. When Abimelech comes to him from Gerar, he travels to him. That's crazy. With Ahuziah, his adversary, his advisor, not adversary, and uh, Pichol, the commander of the army, Isaac said to them, why have you come to me? Can you imagine this? This is crazy. Seeing that you hate me, 
and you have sent me away from you. And they said, we plainly see that the Lord has been with you. This is called change of heart, by the way. Uh, so we said, let there be a sworn pact between us. Now, any one of you are thinking the same thing that I would do. I'd pull out my sword and cut these people's heads off. Righteous anger, right? You thought it, I just said it. <clears throat> he says, uh, where am I at? Uh, verse 26. He says, between you and I, let's make a covenant with you. Are you crazy? This guy just forced him to move. Verse uh, 29. That you do no harm just as we have not touched you, have not done anything to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. Are we, are we watching the same movie? So he made them a feast. And they ate and they drank. What a demonstration of forgiveness and moving forward after a season of frustration. Abimelech went with Isaac uh, went to Isaac with his advisor. Now, here's the two people that he takes with him. If you want to, you can circle Ahuziah. That is the king's friend, the highest one in the court. And he also has uh, Pichol, which is the commander of his army. Think general. Isaac's response to seeing them is, at first, defensive, as you would be. Suspicious, as you would be. I mean, they essentially deported him because of his wealth. And it's clear, Abimelech hurt and hated Isaac. And Abimelech was angry with Isaac for lying about his marriage to Rebekah, which he should be. However, the three men come in peace. When's the last time your enemy came to make amends with you? Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. You're thinking to yourself right now, you're thinking about that person at work. You're thinking about that person at school. You're thinking about that person who's kind of far off. I'm talking about the person who is close in proximity, who's not your enemy but your friend. Because as believers, we immediately think of our worst enemy. We don't think about our spouses or our kids or our coworkers or our neighbors and here, these men come for peace, not war. Why? Simply put, the king says, if you want to underline it in the text, I have seen plainly that the Lord has been with you. And what he's saying is, I saw how you responded to us. The king understands that Isaac's God is powerful and that he blesses Isaac. Abimelech believes Yahweh. He hopes to benefit by being allied with God's man. Isaac approves. He shows them hospitality via a feast. He welcomes them to his table. This is what Jesus does to us when we come to a relationship with him through faith. He says, you're not able to sit at my table because of my death and resurrection. You now can pull up a seat at my table. I was once an enemy. Now I'm a friend. I've been forgiven. The king understands that Isaac's God is powerful. He wants to benefit from him. And Isaac shows him hospitality. Three things. Look at this. This shows us how to treat guests, how to have good intentions, and how to reflect enormous prosperity. Look at verse 31. In the morning they rose, which means they spent a considerable amount of time with him. And they exchanged those, which means they made a pact, they made up, and Isaac sent them on their way. He, even though I can't prove it, probably said, peace be with you. That was a joke. 
because it says they departed from him in peace. They were no longer enemies, but they were now allies. Did Isaac do anything wrong? I don't think so. The only thing he did wrong was the fact that he was successful in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 32. The same day Isaac's servants came, told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, we have found water. So after exchanging oaths, agreeing to make a covenant of peace, they are going to coexist. Isaac and his large company living in Beersheba and the king and his people in Gerar. To make things better, Isaac's servants arrive with the news that we have found water. That comes from verse 25. The discovery of much-needed water shouldn't result in another dispute or water rights. Here's what Moses is getting at, our author. God worked behind the scenes of the whole situation while these two were practicing reconciliation. It's amazing that God was working while people were, be, were being obedient. Let's land this plane. Verse 33. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Isaac's habit of naming wells for circumstances surrounds his discovery. And this one sounds like the Hebrew word for oath. He's celebrating the oaths for peace he has just exchanged with King Abimelech. The name Abraham had given this place reinforced what was already declared. Beersheba means a well of oath. Now, what are the two lessons? Great, great, great question. Number one, if anything, this should drive us to be giving. Giving in regards to forgiveness, giving in regards to grace, and giving in regards to mercy. Why? Because those three things have been given to us. Isaac made, enemies, made uh, his enemies a feast and he welcomed them. And God does the same for us in offering Christ. We are great grace getters and not great grace givers. We expect people to come to a relationship with Jesus Christ and have all of the answers. And that is not going to happen. It takes years of maturity. Be patient with others because God has been patient with you. Number two, be forgiving. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. If you were at war with somebody who is in your car this morning, make peace with them as you take the pilgrimage Our obligation as believers is to love people so well that they look at us and say, surely the Lord's hand is upon you. True faith calls us to be neighborly, to live peaceably with all men. That's what God does for us. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't practice tough love. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't practice tough love. But we offer forgiveness to others underneath the cross of Christ. I wasn't going to use this slide. As a matter of fact, I texted uh, our tech team. Um, but I think it's fitting as we close uh, with a quote from Spurgeon. And he says, like Isaac, after you have drunk the waters of contention, I think you know what the waters of contention are in your life. After you have drunk the waters of hatred, you will be brought to Reboha, 
where you shall have room, yea, even to Beersheba, the well of oath, or the seventh well, the well of saity, where your enemies shall seek your favor and glorify the Lord. I think that's just a great call for us as believers to look at where we're at, what we're offering, and to realize that we can have the same opportunity that Isaac had in receiving God's blessing when we're forgiving, when we move forward in faith, when we're obedient in every season, regardless of the opposition that comes our way. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for uh, this morning. Um, Just the opportunity to look at such a beautiful text about Isaac and um, just some of the things that transpired in his life. I think of the points of contention, God, um, that are transparent uh, just in today. And some of the things that are just just going on and, and prevalent that you're calling us to. And so oftentimes when we sit in a service and we hear a message and the Holy Spirit starts to speak, we just think to ourselves, how can I get out of here fast? Instead of how can I be faithful and obedient? And so this morning, um, I'm, I'm going to give you the opportunity if, if you need to, because I know we just expect that people are going to close their eyes when they pray. But if you need to open them and write down on that slip of paper that was handed to you an action step for today, would you do that? Maybe it's, it's making amends in your home over something that has transpired. Uh, maybe it's, it's something God is calling you to eliminate uh, that is tripping you up. Maybe it was something that you just need to give to somebody else uh, to, to just kind of walk them through that this week. It's maybe a text to send or a phone call. Maybe there's something transpiring. I think the Holy Spirit just works in, in crazy ways sometimes after we receive God's word. And he calls us to action, but we forget. We don't write it down. And so would, would you do that this morning? If, if you're so led to write down, this is the action step. And then take that and, and put it on your bathroom mirror. And do it. Be obedient. God loves when we are obedient. He loves when we are faithful. And he loves when we forgive and move forward. May you be reconcilers for the gospel today. Great grace givers because of the grace that you have received. Thank you, Lord, for letting us have a seat at your table through faith in Christ. It's in your name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.